0: Section 10 of Unaddressed Letters by Anonymous, edited by Frank Athelstane Sweatenham. The LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Eva Davis. At a Funeral. Do you remember how Matthew Arnold, in his essay on pagan and medieval religious sentiment, translates a scene from the 15th Idol of Theocritus, giving the experiences of two Syracusan visitors at the feast of Adonis at Alexandria? about three hundred years before the christian era the description is wonderfully fresh and realistic and it came back to me with strange insistence last night when my host detailed to me his experiences at a malay funeral i fear the effect will all be lost when i try to repeat what i heard but you are indulgent and you will pardon my clumsy periods for the sake of my desire to interest you my only chance of conveying any idea of the impression made on me is to assume the role of narrator at first hand and to try as far as i may to speak in my host's words i was travelling he said and on the point of starting for a place where lived a malay rajah who was a great friend of mine when i heard accidentally that his son had just died that evening i reached the station where my friend lived i saw him And learned that his son a mere lad would be buried the next day it is needless to say why he died it is not a pretty tale he had visited perhaps eighteen months earlier a british possession where the screams of exeter hall had drowned the curses of the people of the land and this wretched boy returned to his country to suffer eighteen months of torture agonizing loathsome corruption in comparison with which death on the cross would be a joyous festival that is nothing he was dead and while his and many another life cried to deaf ears the momentary concern of his family and his friends was to bury him decently my arrival was regarded as a fortuitous circumstance and i was bidden to take part in the function it was early afternoon when i found myself with the father standing at the window of a long room full of women watching till the body should be carried to a great catafalque that stood at the door to receive it. As we waited there, the man beside me, a man of unusually tender feeling, showed no emotion. He simply said, I am not sorry. It is better to die than to live like that. He has peace at last. There was a sound of heavy feet staggering over the grass under the weight of a great load, and the coffin was borne past our window towards the door. As we walked down the room, a multitude of women and children pressed after us, and while a crowd of men lifted the body into its place on the catafalque, a girl close by us burst into a perfect passion of weeping, intermingled with despairing cries and expressions of affection for the dead, whom she would never see again. The rajah pulled me by the sleeve, saying, Come outside, I cannot bear this and i saw the tears were slowly coursing down his face as we passed the heartbroken child who in the abandonment of her grief had thrown herself into the arms of another girl and was weeping hysterically on her breast the mourner was the dead boy's only sister meanwhile the coffin had been placed on the huge wooden bier and this was now being raised on the shoulders of a hundred men with at least another hundred crowded round to take turns in carrying it to the place of burial. At this moment, the procession moved off, and anything more unlike a funeral, as you and I know it, would be hard to imagine. A band of musicians, Spanish mestizos, in military uniforms, headed the cortege, playing a wild Spanish lament that seemed to sob and wail and proclaim, by every trick of sound, the passing of the dead immediately behind them followed a company of stalwart indian soldiers with arms reversed then a posse of priests and holy men chanting prayers next we came and behind us a row of boys carrying their dead master's clothes a very pathetic spectacle after them the great bier, vast in size curious in form and gay with color but so unwieldy that it seemed to take its own direction and make straight for the place of burial, regardless of roads and ditches, shrubs and flowers, or the shouts and cries of its bearers and those who were attempting to direct their steps. Last of all, a crowd of men and boys, friends, retainers, chiefs, sightseers, idlers, gossips and beggars, a very heterogeneous throng. The road to the burial ground wound down one hill and up another, and the band, the escort, the priests, and the mourners followed it. But the catafalque pursued its own devious course in its own blundering fashion, and, by and by, was set down on a high bluff, o'erlooking a great shining river, with palm-clad banks, backed by space of level ground, shut in by lofty blue hills. The coffin was then lifted from out the bier and placed on the ground. I stood by the ready-dug grave and waited, while the father of the dead boy moved away a few yards, and an aged chief called out, "'Now, all you praying people, come and pray!' The Raja, the priests, and the holy men gathered round the body, and after several had been invited to take up the word and modestly declined in favour of some better-qualified speaker, a voice began to intone while from time to time the rest of the company said "Amen." just then it began to rain a little and those who had no umbrellas ran for protection to the catafalque and sheltered themselves under its overhanging eaves while a lively interchange of badinage passed between those who for the moment had nothing to do this was the sort of conversation that reached my ears now then all you people come and pray why don't you pray yourself we did all our praying yesterday i don't believe you have done any now is the time with all these holy men here i dare say but you don't suppose i'm going out in the rain to pray i'm not a priest no one thought you were but that is no reason why you should not pray never mind about me tell these other people but you need not bother now for they've got it over and all the time the monotonous voice of the priest muttered the guttural Arabic words, as though these frivolous talkers were a mile off, instead of within a few feet of him and those who stood round the coffin. No one could have helped being struck by the curious incongruity of the scene at that moment. I stood in the place of graves with an open sepulcher at my feet. The stage was one of extraordinary beauty, the players singularly picturesque that high bluff above the glistening river circled by forest-clad hills of varying height one needle-like point rising to at least six thousand feet many old graves lay beneath the shadow of graceful wide-spreading trees which carried a perfect blaze of crimson blossoms lying in huge masses over dark green leaves as though spread there for effect groups of brown men clad in garments of bright but harmoniously toned colors, stood all about the hill. On the very edge of the bluff, towards the river, was the gaily caparisoned, quaintly constructed catafalque, a number of men and boys sitting in it, and round its edge, smoking, laughing, and talking. Within a dozen feet of them, the closely packed crowd of priests and holy men praying round the coffin, the band and the guard had been told to march off and they were wending their way round a hillside in middle distance while the strains of a quick step the monotone of rapidly uttered prayer the conversation and laughter of the idlers crossed and recrossed each other in a manner that to me was distinctly bizarre seen against that background and lighted by the fiery rays of a dying eastern sun the scarlet uniforms of the bandsmen the dark blue of the escort The long white coats of the priests, and the many-colored garments of the two or three hundred spectators scattered about the graves, completed a picture not easily forgotten. Just then a move was made to the sepulchre, and two ropes were stretched across it, while some men began to lift the coffin. "'What are you doing?' said the uncle of the dead boy. "'If you put him in like that, how will his head lie?' The bearers immediately let the coffin down and another man in authority said, "'Well, after all, how should his head lie?' "'Towards the west,' said the uncle. "'No, it should not,' replied the other. "'It should be to the north, and then he looks towards the west.' Several people here joined in the argument, and it was eventually decided that the head must be towards the north, and then, as the body was lying on its right side, the face would look towards Mecca. Well, who knows at which end of the box his head is? Various guesses were hazarded, but the uncle said that would never do, and he would see for himself. So the wreaths and garlands of blue chimpaka, the flower of death, the gorgeous silks and cloths of gold, were all thrown off, the heavy cover was lifted up, and the uncle began to feel about in the white grave clothes for the head of the corpse. Ha! here it is he said if we had put him in without looking it would have been all wrong and we should have had a nice job to get him out again well you know all about it now said a bystander so we may as well get on the cover was accordingly replaced the box turned with the head to the north and then with a deal of talk and superabundance of advice from near and from far the poor body was at last lowered into the grave Once there, the corpse lies on the earth, for the coffin has no bottom. The reason is obvious. You have probably never been to a funeral, and if so, you do not know the horrible sound of the first spadesful of earth as they fall, with dull blows, on that which is past feeling and resistance. The friends who stand round the grave shudder as each clod strikes the wood under which lies their beloved dead. Here it was different, for two men got in the grave and held up a grass mat, against which the earth was shoveled while the coffin was protected. There was hardly any sound, and as the earth accumulated, the men spread it with their hands to right and left, and finally over the top of the coffin, and then the rest of the work was done rapidly and quietly. When filled in, two wooden pegs, each covered with a piece of new white cloth, were placed at the head and foot of the grave. These are eventually replaced by stones. Then, as the officers of the Raja's household began to distribute funeral gifts amongst the priests, the holy men, and the poor, my friend and I slowly retraced our steps, and with much quiet dignity, the father thanked me for joining him in performing the last offices to his dead son. His sufferings were unbearable, he said. They are over now, and why should I regret? truly death was best i could not gainsay it but that young life so horribly and prematurely ended seemed to have fallen into the snare of a civilization that cannot be wholly appreciated by primitive people they do not understand why the burning moral principles of the section of an alien race should be applied to communities that have no sympathy with the principles or their application to different conditions of society. End of section 10.